Why, hello there! My name is Kenji Dick. And I'm Claudia Duick. And this is Wittenberg Radio. It is episode 119, and it is April 10th, 2018. Claudia, how are you doing? I am well. How are you, Kenji? I'm doing all right. This is the last week. Uh, the assignments are due. Uh, of course, you know, maybe drowning a little bit in your own blood, sweat, and tears, but you know what? It's all going to end very, very soon, and I'm looking forward to that, just to be a little bit honest, and I'm pretty sure most other people are as well. I know I am. Yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do once it's all over? Are you going to be like, is there going to be just this big abyss of nothingness and boredom <laughs> and loneliness, or are you going to actually like, but like, what are your plans? Um, well, probably the first thing I'll, I'll probably do the moment that uh, everything is done is just sit back and play some Minecraft and listen to some podcasts. Nice. Ooh, uh, podcast. What's yeah. on your list? You know, uh, I listened to uh, a wrestling podcast called Old School Wrestling Video Podcast. Uh, these guys from Ireland, they uh, watch and review old wrestling pay-per-views, normally the goofy kind. It's hilarious. It's humorous. It's also quite uh, insightful as well in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, but I know it's quite niche And uh, I know I'm probably <laughs> isolating myself a little bit by, no, no. by mentioning that. So Yes, this yeah. is the little known fact about Kenji Dick. He uh, really likes wrestling, yes. believe it or not. It's a talk to him about it sometime. yeah i would love to talk about it i think it's a, a lovely art form and that's right it is an art form and if you ever want to talk to me about that i'm more than willing to and i'm more than willing to also recommend some great matches and feuds if you ever <laughs> want to watch some wrestling uh yeah that's that is a little side about me so yeah great sounds like a like a good plan for the next couple of weeks and yours oh you know just uh planning my trip to Germany, my trip, right. my move, you could probably, I don't know, was a year a trip? I don't know. Yeah, I got to do a lot of planning there. I've been putting it off since till till after these assignments. And so now those tasks become real. And I have a sewing project and just knitting and stuff and friends. I don't know. I kind of want to do like a road trip or something, just mm. something small, but fun with people while, before I leave forever. Nice. So... Yeah. It'd be a good idea, yeah, to meet up with your friends before you Yeah, uh, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. All right, and with that, let's talk about upcoming events. As of the release of this episode, we understand that you may have some bigger fish to fry at the moment, considering that we are now in the heat of the exam season. With that being said, there are a few major events that are happening shortly after exams that you should consider attending before the arrival of the long summer months ahead. So what are those events? Well, first, the amazing student choirs here at CMU, specifically the men's and women's chorus, as well as CMU singers, will be having their spring choral concert on April 20th in the Lowen Athletic Center at 7.30 p.m. As someone who has participated in these concerts before, I can tell you with complete honesty that this concert is truly outstanding. If you have any time, or if you want to perhaps calm yourself after those stressful exams with some pleasing choral music, you should consider coming to this concert. And then, on April 21st, it's the big one. That's right, it's graduation. The graduation ceremony and convocation will begin at 2.30pm at the Portage Avenue Church. Watch as some of CMU's hardest working and admirable students finally earn their degrees in their respective fields. It's a truly wonderful and heartwarming ceremony for anyone to attend, regardless if you know anybody in the ceremony itself. So consider going to the CMU graduation ceremony on the 21st. Many of you may have seen or even read the posts that were on the Wittenberg door about a month ago about CMU and 
the inclusive or exclusive community that it may be regarding Mennonite identity as well as other ecumenical orientations towards how we worship and how we live out our faith. Um, there were three posts. The first one was made by an anonymous person, uh, mostly just saying that CMU doesn't have, doesn't represent charismatic and evangelical faiths as much as it maybe should or as they feel it should be. That then was followed up by, by James DeGurse uh, kind of standing up for CMU uh, and saying that CMU is definitely a place where we can talk about these things and encouraging that person to put themselves out there and, and learn about how other people might engage with them if they were to bring up these these concerns. And then there was a third um, a third post by Katie Unruh saying that her experience as a Mennonite brethren here specifically has also been been far from from adequate um, and that this is something that that CMU should be talking about. So that's a very brief overview just to kind of keep you in the loop of what we're talking about here today. But in terms of this particular interview, we've brought on Marnie Clausen. <laughs> we've brought on Marnie Clausen, who lives here on Res. Uh, she's a second year interdisciplinary student. And she happens to be Mennonite Brethren, but comes from a fairly ecumenical background. So we're very glad to have her on the show today. Welcome here, Marnie. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Um, so first off, I wanted to just acknowledge that this topic is is sensitive. It's personal. Um, many people have a very are personally involved in in this topic, um, and I think historically we've shied away from confronting it this mm. blatantly, mm -hmm. um, which has had pros and cons. Um, so w with that comes my hesitancy of language, right? What are the words we use to talk about this? And what words that we do use have certain connotations? Um, how do we mean them when we say them? So first off, I wanted to just acknowledge that most often um, it's important to hear the words around the big buzzwords and how they're used. Um, and I wanted to ask you about what you think about words and the words like conservative and evangelical that kind of get thrown around or like the liberal conservative mm -hmm. comparison. What do those mean and are they helpful in this conversation? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, anybody who knows me pretty well will, uh, will tell you that I'm somebody who doesn't like labels very much. I uh, declared my major this week and even putting a label on what I'm studying was uh, was difficult for me. Um, yeah, I, I would would tend to say that uh, labels will never capture the whole truth of what something is. Um, however, I think like words are the language that we have. We 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 speak a language of of words um, and that's how we communicate. And so labels are important, but we need to hold them loosely. Um, so I think the the dichotomy between conservative and liberal, um, I mean, we've seen in in North American political climate in the last couple of years how um, how divisive and polarizing that dichotomy has been, um, and I think especially with with that in mind, uh, they're labels that that really cannot capture whole realities because people are um, are complicated. People are are yeah infinite and. Di diverse and nuanced and complex and you just you can't capture the entirety of a person's being by saying that they're a conservative mm -hmm. um so i'm someone who comes from uh, a fairly conservative you could say uh 
culture, my hometown, um, and the high school I went to, a lot of the religious context that I come from is fairly conservative. If I had to label myself, I would label myself as fairly liberal. But I also recognize that there's so much depth within those labels um, Mm -hmm. that I think we need to keep using the labels because they're the language that we have. But we also need to, every time we use them, remember that there's more to the story. Right. So throughout these posts, uh, we see that language quite a bit, mm-hmm. conservative, liberal. And do you think that, that this is a question of conservative, liberal, or is there more going on here? I definitely think there's more going on. Um, I'm taking Peter Epps' class, Exploring Mennonite Identity, right now. Um, uh, yeah, small plug. It's it's a great class. I'm, hmm. I'm definitely loving it and learning a lot. Um, I, I endorse it as well. Uh, also, <laughs> yes, I'm in this interview. I highly endorse it as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been really great. Uh, one thing we've we've talked about, though, I actually wrote one of my assignments on this topic. Um, so we were exploring the, uh, as Peter called it, proliferating Mennonite identities. And so the ways that Mennonite doesn't mean just one thing and Anabaptist doesn't even mean one thing. Um, and so there are different like theological movements within a cultural tradition. Um, I was going somewhere with this. Oh, shoot. What was I saying? Oh, no. What was I saying? Do you know? Okay. You're talking about the class and you're talking about different movements. Mm-hmm. We're talking about conservative, conservative liberal. liberal. Okay. So, yeah, one thing that, that we talked about in, in terms of these proliferating identities was um, was that there are, are uh, people who would identify as Mennonite who would also identify as evangelical. And that really the, the ways that Anabaptism and neo-Anabaptism and evangelicalism and um, post-conservative evangelicalism and all these all these different uh, theological movements overlap in such complex ways that you really can't there are no boxes. There's just circles and lines and continuums. Mm-hmm. And so coming from the the background that I do, there are parts of myself that I can't deny are evangelical. Um, I've used air quotes there if you can't see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely realizing like the, the heart aspects of faith, which evangelicals are, are so good at expressing, are things that are really important to me and things that I have not um, necessarily found spaces to express in my time at CMU. On the other hand, I was incredibly discontent in my in my high school years at a very evangelical Mennonite high school um, and came to CMU looking for a place to express the the really like heady theology and also the um, my aspirations to social justice. And so I think like even just looking at, at that as my own personal experience, recognizing that there's no box for me to fit into. Um, but there is still a place in the church for me um, mm. in terms of that it's possible to find that head-heart balance. It's possible to say, I love Jesus. I want to learn who Jesus was. I want to read the New Testament in Greek, and I want to go to protests. I can do all those things and still be a whole person. Right. And that doesn't fit in a box. Huh. Yeah. Um, CMU strives to include everyone, um, and this was cr- criticized in, in especially the first uh, post. How has this been, or I guess my first reaction to this was then like, well then, you know, find fulfillment other places. But then I realized that I'm a commuter and Mm -hmm. that this might be a different thing for res students. I can imagine that if you're a res student, you're looking for a lot more in terms of fulfillment Mm -hmm. from CMU as an institution than a commuter might be. Um, And I'm wondering what your experience in this area has been. Um, Do you feel included here? And and do people, do you think CMU does an adequate job trying to get people to feel included? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, inclusivity, I mean, that's such a broad term, and we're talking Mm. specifically about denominations here, but if I could just broaden it to um, included in the community, um, 
I, I started at CMU uh, in the winter semester last year, um, which is a really weird time to start and, and not very many people do. People have sometimes asked me um, if it was hard to integrate into the community and if I would recommend starting in the winter. Um, and what I say is that for me, it was the best choice I could have made and I would recommend it to about 10% of people. Hmm. Um, I'm somebody who, when I start something, I just jump right in and I, I force the community to include me. That's maybe a bit strong, but mm-hmm. um, I don't let myself not be included. And so I think I have a different lens on that than, uh, than less extroverted or, um, or less uh, engaged people might have. Um, at the same time, I recognize that when I started at CMU, one of my big goals was, uh, was to feel like I live in Winnipeg, not that I live at CMU. And that's been much harder to accomplish than I expected. Um, even this semester, I spent very little time off campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, live in, I live in dorm. Ted feeds me. Uh, yeah, it's everything I need is here. Like, I, I work on campus. I go to school on campus. Sometimes church is, like, just yeah. chapel, you know? And so it's, yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying, that, uh, that when, you live, when you live in res... Um, CMU is almost your whole life and and yeah so then I I can imagine that for somebody who um who hasn't jumped in as much and but also hasn't been invited in as much um that it would be difficult to find that space of inclusivity um when they're relying so wholeheartedly on on one institution to find that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and what are ways you think that CMU could make it more appealing to someone who mm-hmm. comes or not uh, maybe appealing isn't the right word but but welcoming to someone who does come from from I mean here Katie talks about culture shock right um right. that is a difficult transition and I re- remember even as a commuter student coming here as a first year student like it's a tough transition and sure. especially when you're um yeah when your theology and your spiritual life is being deconstructed as as the first post says um are there are there things in place to to help people feel like not everything is being just ripped out from under mm-hmm. their feet? Yeah, I I think I mean for me that's been chapel. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah I like you mentioned I've grown up with a pretty ecumenical background, mostly Mennonite brethren, but with some some other denominational influences, um, and and part of that has been that I've grown up with liturgy. And so for me, the way that chapel tends to happen has been very meaningful, especially when we have um, more contemplative chapels with candlelight and singing Taizé songs and those sorts of things. I find that really restorative in the midst of, yeah, feeling like I'm grappling with my entire worldview. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that that's very traditionally specific. Um, and so I think there has been really good effort in terms of um, things like Wednesday night worship and fellowship groups. There's such diversity within fellowship groups. I think that's a really beautiful thing. Um, there are opportunities for people from more evangelical traditions to to plug into um, into those things. Um, yeah, but on the other hand, I think some of the concern is valid that um, that definitely the the theological and um, like religiously expressive tone of CMU certainly leans certain ways and certainly leans um, General Conference Mennonite. Like we mm-hmm. use a lot of GC. Um, liturgy so even when we have liturgy it's you know it might not be filling the spiritual needs of someone from an Anglican tradition or um, when we have worship songs we you know and any way you express your faith is going to exclude someone who Mm -hmm. who doesn't um, uh, like relate to that expression Mm -hmm. 
So as a Mennonite brethren on campus, um, mm-hmm. have you felt free to express opinions that maybe differ from the felt majority? Uh, for the most part, yes. There have been a couple times when I haven't. Um, yeah, I remember last semester there was there was a week I was struggling with some some personal stuff and uh, and just sort of realized like there was a part of me that just desperately wanted to ask someone to pray with me and I had no idea who I would ask and that was a very strange moment for me um yeah especially because I mean that a few years ago that would have been totally instinctual for me Mm -hmm. instinctive um and the last few years it's it's less so so partly I was surprised by the instinct that that's what I needed and partly I was I was less pleasantly surprised by the fact that I didn't know where to go for that Mm -hmm. um so that's, I mean, that's in terms of like faith expression, in terms of, of more like thoughts and opinions and theology. Um, yeah, in, in exploring Mennonite identity, there have been one or two classes where conversation has turned in a direction I really have not expected. And um, if you've t- taken a class with me, you know that I, I tend to talk a lot in class discussions. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's been a couple times when I've, I've just kind of, uh, I don't know, been kind of soberly silent and realizing like, okay, like I I thought I knew how much diversity there was in this class and I'm really taken aback by some of the things that are being said. Um, Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, I mean, it speaks to, I think, a common student experience that sometimes Mm -hmm. you realize that that you're alone in what you think. Right. And that 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 is a little bit unsettling when you've when you've gone in with this feeling that, that people around you are thinking what you are and you feel this freedom to say stuff and there will be Mm. a a large percentage of the class that will agree with you right and it takes a lot of vulnerability um Mm -hmm. to to bring that up and and that's something that i I talked to peter a little bit in preparation for this because he is the professor of mennonite Mennonite identity um and he said something really cool that was uh he said that community requires vulnerability vulnerability (laughs) yeah (laughs) community (laughs) requires vulnerability um and and if there's such a strong emphasis on on certainty um in Mm -hmm. in your form like there's such a strong emphasis on on knowing who you are and and all these concrete things and how we have to be free to be very vulnerable with people Mm -hmm. and and take into account that people may not agree with us and then also know how to interact with people and how to engage with people that don't agree with us yeah but that also you don't agree with vice like vice versa um yeah there's a lot of grace involved in that yeah yeah with yourself and with others Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly um so so definitely that speaks to that um and it's just i think the more we talk about it the more we realize that that when that happens like that's normal Mm -hmm. um and and um often i think we tend to it's only natural to kind of blow that out of proportion Hmm. because all of a sudden you're the one that's feeling vulnerable and you're the one that doesn't have um an opinion that is represented by the majority of people and you think that you're the only one but I think most students go through that at some time or another um and that's that can be a really cool experience if Hmm. if you if you deal with it in a way that, that can turn out to be good um I have a question about this is kind of on a different track again sure but why why do you think evangelicalism is is more than it's stereotyped like does that make yeah yeah so um this might be uh an unpopular thing to say but uh yeah growing up as an mb with some i guess you could say like gc impulses like towards social justice and whatnot uh coming to cmu i i thought i was going to like totally find my niche and like just find the people who i connected with and 
and I, I thought that the, the piece that was missing from my theological life would be filled here um, and that there wouldn't be anything else missing. I, I had this utopian yeah. view of CMU. Um, and I came to CMU, which um, whatever way you swing it has a, has a very GC dominant narrative. Um, yes, it's supported by multiple conferences, but some of the loudest voices are GC. I don't think that's arguable at this no. point. And something that, okay, first of all, I, I want to say I've like, I've really, really appreciated those GC voices. Um, there's like a lot of really good stuff there. And for sure, some of the things that I felt I was lacking um, before, I've, I've really like found space for conversation around those things, which has been really cool. On the other hand, um, something I've noticed now that I'm part of the general conference Mennonite world a little bit more is that GC Mennonites don't always know how to engage their hearts. Um, and yeah, growing up MB and I went to a Catholic school for eight years and yeah, I have like some like contemplative liturgical background, like heart is core to faith. And I, I've really, really struggled, especially this semester actually with, um, with reconciling that tension between head and heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think like kind of the place that I'm coming to is I, I want to be able to recognize that every denomination and every faith expression has has a gift and has a shadow side to offer. Um, and it's important to uh, to recognize the shadow side and to recognize that, um, yeah, nothing's nothing's ever perfect. And we can't we can't just praise ourselves thinking that we are perfect, but also to recognize the gift that we have um, in her book, Radical Gratitude, Mary Jo Letty writes that true humility is recognizing what we can do. Um, that's probably one of the most profound things I've read this semester. Um, that, yeah, humility isn't isn't saying like, oh, we have nothing to offer. It's saying actually we do have something to offer, but by recognizing what we do have to offer, we also recognize what we can't offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, uh, I'm, I'm sure every denomination is guilty of this, of writing off another, another faith tradition. Um, and I, I keep hearing explicitly and implicitly um, General Conference Mennonites writing off evangelicalism as as uneducated, conservative, and by that I mean inherently bad conservative, um, which is not what I believe, but that's the um, the implication. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think evangelicals are really good at is loving Jesus. And if if the gospel, as in like the Jesus story, is the core of Christianity, if we want to own the Jesus story and walk in the Jesus story and be part of the Jesus story, uh, there's love involved in that. And we can't just use our heads. We can't just think our way through that. Um, we're not just thinking creatures. Another one of my classes, uh, Consumption and Desire, we've been uh, we've been reading about uh, how people are not primarily thinking creatures, but actually primarily loving and feeling creatures. And I think if we're like I buy into that and if we're going to buy into that and believe that we are loving creatures and that the Jesus story is the core of our faith then we need to love Jesus Mm -hmm. and that's what evangelicalism can offer us and we need to learn to accept that gift in the Mennonite community because that's a profound gift and that's a gift that I see lacking Mm -hmm. at CMU right and that's I think where where we can help each other right Mm -hmm. where anabaptism and uh, evangelicalism can can really share and bring for sure different things to the table and learn from each other and I think that when these voices come up in the posts like this um it's a good indication that they're around and Mm -hmm. and I think that they should be empowered to to bring that to the table Mm -hmm. Um, yeah totally yeah well thank you very much for talking um about this I've really appreciated your insight and your approach um so thank you very much yeah you're so welcome thanks for having me
Similar to our report of Rick Lindros, the scientist in resident at CMU back in January, this is a report on Mark, his recital, and what his career holds in front of him. If you would like to hear more segments like this in the future, or perhaps even next season of Wittenberg Radio, you can let us know through our variety of social media platforms. So let us listen to our report of Mark Holmes A. Court's recital. To have your work performed for your friends, family, and peers is nerve-wracking. To have your music resonate with that same audience is another challenge altogether. Those challenges are what CMU music student Mark Holmes Acourt recently went through when his composition recital Borrowing from Beyond was performed on February 27th. When Mark presented his pieces during the recital, he noticeably stuttered in embarrassed nervousness. But if you were in his position, it would be hard not to. In many ways, this recital was the culmination of his work at CMU. This is Mark's final academic year in his four-year music degree, and this was the first time that much of his compositions were performed publicly by fellow CMU musicians. As part of his Bachelor of Music, Mark had spent months preparing his pieces for his 17 performers to learn. His pieces range from an Irish prayer folk song to a piece from a musical he had written two years ago. With a scale as large as this recital, organization and rehearsal leading up to the performance was challenging to say the least. And this sparks a blunt but simple question. Why have a recital to begin with? While the recital will be counted as part of his degree, it was never a requirement to begin with. So what motivated him to do it anyways? For Mark, he simply wanted to share his work with those who have supported him. Like, I didn't need it to graduate this year. I just added it because I wanted to share the music because I think... Uh, for me, I a all of my friends who have been going here for a while and have maybe seen like a piece or two at uh, comp recitals. That's that's all right, but I really wanted to share and also with professors and and family because it's like I've I've been writing for uh, like I think eight years now, but I've never had a night where it's just my music. I've I've had musicals and plays that I've uh, written music for. But that's very much a collaborative process, which I love doing. But uh, I, I, I wanted to uh, share with my community that has been supporting me for all this time. So like having uh, having some of the music professors come out, that was really nice. And then having some some of my friends that are students here and that I see in the community often that a help out and sing and play. And then B, there was other ones that I know well that were sitting in the audience. I don't know. I, I these people, I, I think it was a time for me to show everyone what I've been doing. And maybe maybe some people, like family or something, might be like, hey, you know, I'm, I feel proud I was part of raising this person. Or, or they were like, hey, you know, this is something that he's actually he he actually does something he's not just <laughs> sitting sitting at his computer clicking on notes or something like that 
When his musicians played his pieces during the recital, Mark couldn't help but smile at their wonderful work and effort. It was also during the show that Mark realized the uncertainty around the quality of his music. Even as the musicians played his compositions to perfection, it said little of what his audience thought of them. However, while Mark hopes his audience enjoyed his work, he understands that much of the enjoyment depends on what each of them brought to the performance. How people react to music is all based on what they bring to the venue or the concert, wherever they're listening to the music. It's, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what is playing, but it matters what the what the listener brings to what is playing and if they're willing to engage with what they're bringing to the listening. Because, like, I think the best venue that you can listen to music is in the car. If I do turn on, like, um, the radio station, I know there's been some, like, moments where I'll be listening to something, uh, usually if it's, like, a classical station or something. Like, uh, there's one time that um, Marion Mozedich, I hope I didn't butcher his name, he had a piece called Affairs of the Heart, which is just just wonderful violin concerto that I heard CBC was playing it, and I just like you know you when when you're stuck in that little space and there's no one else there, you sometimes you feel like you're in a bubble, and then if you just have like certain music and you're able to relate what you're thinking about or what uh, what what you're feeling to it, then it just creates it's an opportunity for the music to connect with you or like or the narrative that you bring to the music. The plays and stuff that I've done, plays and musicals, those are more for the public. I, I th like they're more for the public in that it actually reaches more of a public audience. And I think it just gives an opportunity to share that sort of thing, but you get to see the wide range of what people are bringing to the play and then how they're interacting with it. Like one of the musicals I did got five stars from one reviewer, the CBC, and then three stars from the Winnipeg Free Press and like they they were looking at it for completely different things. It's more on the listener to engage with the music for it to be uh, effectively uh, expressive though it helps if the music has some like a certain direction and has, has things that recur or, or something that can help orient the listener if so long as the listener is already there and willing to go along with it. For the most part, it seems the audience envisioned his pieces greatly, as many of them, including CMU student Isaac Schlegel, expressed their praise and admiration. I thought it was really excellent. There was a great range of music that he presented and just really put the range of his talent on display. Just that I've, I've heard scattered pieces of Mark's uh, compositions before, but this is the most of it I've ever gotten to hear at once so it feels like I have a new sort of handle on him and the work that he does which has been really cool. Now that the recital is finally over you would think Mark would take some time to rest but like any other university student around spring he's already back to schoolwork. The overwhelming feeling of like getting back to academic work which I should have been doing <laughs> also at the same time but in the past week or two have been very not good at doing at the same time I've <laughs> I guess I'm not well I'm looking forward to getting back to doing more reading and writing but it's uh, stressful <laughs> despite all of that Mark feels accomplished and he should be 
His composition recital illustrated the years of work he put not only into his degree, but his life goal of being a composer. He still has a long ways to go, as he plans to attend a master's program after graduation. But on that night, the audience told him with their thunderous applause and cheers that every step he has taken so far in his journey has been worth it. From Canadian Mennonite University, I'm Kenji Dick. And that brings an end to our show. Thank you once again for listening to Wittenberg Radio. Remember to attend these last two big events that are happening right after the exam season. The Spring Choral Concert on April 20th at 7.30pm in the Lowen Athletic Center. And finally, the CMU graduation ceremony itself starting at 2.30pm at the Portage Avenue Church. My name is Kenji Dick. And I'm Claudia Duick. And we'll see you next time. Wittenberg Radio is a production of CMU Student Council. The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests are not necessarily those of CMU Student Council.